0: What's up, hybrids? Welcome back to another episode of the Fandom Hybrid Podcast. This is Hanako, and I am here with Anthony today, and we are discussing The Stand, episodes three and four. And I will start this off by saying, I think because I have gotten myself into the mindset that we will be getting a lot of the flashbacks in this show, I didn't hate these episodes as much, (laughs) As I did the first two episodes. And I won't say I hated the first two episodes. There was just a lot to get used to. So now that I've kind of changed my mindset, these, these two episodes here, um, I enjoyed them a little bit more. There were still a couple of things that really grated on my nerves. Um, but we did get a little bit more background into the characters, which I think kind of helps. But it's still... I'm still feeling it out. You know what I'm saying? So, what do you yeah. think? What do you think? Because you're over there shaking your head like, nope, nope, nope. No,
1: it it's the same. I mean, it's only episode three and four, and it's just more of the same. More flashbacks, more interrupting the storyline. We got two storylines going on at the same time, and they're just it's like they're not really overlapping but they just seem to be in conflict with each other for my attention like right it's like trying to read two books and you read one paragraph in one book and another paragraph in the other book then the next paragraph in the other you you're just going back and forth and you're all over the place and it to me, it seems to be worse in this episode than in episode three than it was in the first two. And episode four, it doesn't get any better. It's the same thing. It's just a lot of time jumping. And
0: yes, I will say it's that not about that, four. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's not like it's not like I can't keep up. It's just that I shouldn't have to do so much mental work <laughs> to to keep track of what's happening and when it's happening. And then not only that, but the time jumps. Also, jump like
0: yes. I was we'll gonna mention.
1: That. Yeah, in one place at one time, we'll go to the present, then we we'll go back, and they're like in a different place. It's 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 too much.
0: You get that it, a it, lot with um episode four. It's like episode we, four. We get maybe. the flashbacks, then we get present day, but then we get flashbacks of present day. So it's like you get like one of the scenes that happens in the fourth episode is they are having. Um, a town meeting with all of the boulder free zone. And then you see them flash back to like maybe a day or two before, or maybe earlier in the day where they're having the discussion about what they're (laughs) going to discuss at the the meeting. And that, yeah, that is kind of, it does kind of throw things off. Um, But I don't know. Like I said, I, I think because I've prepared myself that, okay, this is what I need to expect from this series it was easier for me to follow, even though it was still irritating to have to do that, but I wasn't as irritated as I was when I first watched the show, when I first watched the first episode, because at that point, you don't expect it. So right.
1: my, my, my hope is it appears as if the time jumps are, are about to converge on present, so... Hopefully, after starting with episode five, we'll get fewer and hopefully none because we would have had the past catch up with the present. But I'm starting to believe that we're going to see, once we get to Vegas, we're going to start seeing flashbacks of the people in Vegas.
0: Yes. I, I think so, especially since we... Since we have been introduced to new characters in these episodes, these two episodes, characters that are not part of Boulder, we know one of them specifically came from Vegas, um, basically trying to correct the wrong decision that he made. And then we have another character that we've met that we don't see in Boulder at all. So it's only, it, we can only assume that she's probably in Vegas. And, and You're we're,
1: talking about the, the girl talking about
0: that Julie, was in, yeah, Julie
1: Law, yeah, with Nick and um, yeah, call it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's gonna be in Vegas if yeah. I remember from yes the book. She's yeah, so, mm-hmm. so we're gonna get a bounce back for her, yes, undoubtedly.
0: But that's okay because you know what we're gonna so, get bounce
1: backs for Lloyd because man, yeah. we had one with him, so we're gonna get bounce backs with him. It's mm-hmm. it's coming and uh, yeah. And Hopefully then, it will be as many.
0: Yeah, but but we are going to we we'll probably see some other uh bounce backs for some of our people as well because as we mentioned, we have people who are going to head to Vegas as spies, you know, and this is this is something that happens in the fourth episode like where they discuss it, but we already knew that was coming because it's part of the original story. So, I'm sure we'll probably see a little bit more flashbacks On those characters, maybe, but let's talk about some of these flashbacks. So, episode three, the actual episode starts back with a flashback of Nadine. And apparently, she has grown up in a group home or in foster care. And she's with a group of girls. And they're playing with a planchette game, which, if you guys are not familiar with what a planchette is, it's kind of sort of like a Ouija board. You use it to, you know, Contact the spirits, and then they um, there's like pencils attached to this board, and it spells out or draws out whatever message the spirit is trying to send to you. So, of course, as kids do, they they grab this planchette, they start you know playing games, asking for spirits to contact this uh, you know contact them, and they are not prepared at all for the response that they get, you know the planchette starts moving on its own. They think it's one of the other girls playing and they they think it's Nadine because the planchette actually spells out Nadine's name. And so they're you know threatening her oh if you did this we're gonna kick your butt blah 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 and then the planchette starts frantically moving like it comes off the paper. It goes onto the floor and it starts doing a lot of drawing and the girls cannot take their fingers off of this board so it's obvious there's something supernatural happening happening here and then once it's done and they see what's written the other girls they get up and they run out of the room first of all let's talk about this person who's supposed to be supervising the girls or watching them and she's sitting in the hallway with headphones on up loud not paying attention like she doesn't hear screaming she doesn't hear the noise, the bumping, anything. She needs to be fired.
1: <laughs> well, you know. People it, like
0: hers, what's wrong with the world today?
1: <laughs> well, in her defense, it, it is like what maybe, maybe I guess the two thousand, maybe late 90s, early 2000s. And I think they're supposed to be asleep like it's still
0: supposed to be listening just in case anything happens these are kids they sneak out of bed they're doing stuff they're not supposed to they could be fighting
1: she's watching the door She
0: wasn't even looking at the door.
1: Well, she saw them run out. I mean, yeah, she she saw them run
0: out when they ran past her. She wasn't even I, looking in that direction. Don't know. Don't, don't, don't try that. She was neglectful, and something worse could have happened to those girls because she was all off in her own world, listening to whatever bullshit music she was listening to on her headphones.
1: Bartel Jordan. Don't even do that. <laughs> this is how we do it.
0: Is that what? It's, is that what, what was, was playing through the headphones? Yeah, i thought that a, was okay so i thought i thought that song was playing during another scene but you might be right okay so nah, maybe they, not bullshit they, music yeah. but still
1: <laughs> still
0: anyway so
1: and can, can i just say that to... that so far this has been like the most terrifying <laughs> moment in the series
0: <laughs> yes because be first of all these are, these girls are they look like they could have been maybe 12 13 maybe very early teens. And they're having this, this experience. And then of course, when we get to see the floor of what was written with the planchette, there's like different variations of Nadine will be my queen and we are in the house of the dead, Nadine. And you know, it's like written in big letters, written in small letters, it's written like over, it looks like a three by four space on the floor, but basically it's Randall Flagg reaching out to her saying you will be my cr- queen. First of all, Randall Flag, I'm going to need you to not be a pedophile. This girl is a teenager. How do you know she's going to be your queen? That was just to me, just creepy. I don't think we I don't think well, we got that in the original. Like, I don't think did she start Did she start seeing him or having visions or whatever of him that early? I don't remember. I, I don't think I
1: Scott don't was. remember in the series, but in the book she was in college. Okay. So it was definitely different. So sometimes I wonder what the, the um, artistic choice was to make her, you know, middle school as opposed to college. I think, you know, this demon, presumably grown man, has started, you know, what, what's the word that he used? Grooming her at a young age. Right. And with,
0: that's exactly and what it th- comes across as. You know, because... That's that's a problem. Yeah, it is. Because you're you're taking a character who, from, from what we can tell... I mean, she's in a group home. So by all accounts, she's either been abandoned or has lost her parents. So she's vulnerable. She's probably lonely. She's new to this particular group home because they keep calling her new girl. We don't even know her name until we see what's written by the planchette. So... You're taking this girl who is extremely vulnerable, and then you're putting into her head the idea that somebody wants her. And not necessarily for a good reason, but she, you know, we see a, another, we see another flashback of this dream of hers later on in the episode where while she's reading what's been written on the floor, you know, she feels a sensation and she looks down and flag's pendant is on her neck and she gives like a saw like a small smile like she's pleased you know like maybe she's pleased she's been chosen or whatever that whole scene just bothered me why did she have to be yeah, so young
1: it, again i question their their choice in that matter because it wouldn't have been any different had they just stuck with her being in college and maybe had her at a college party with some some friends fooling around with the plochette and whatnot you could have done it the same way in the book but I think they made this choice to try to be different but at the end of the day you turned Randall Flack into a pedophile right? I mean even
0: if they had waited till like she was maybe later teens could have been still in high school because the idea is that for flag his whole thing with nadine is nadine is supposed to save herself for him she's supposed to save her virginity for him so yes even if you had planted you, you, even point, if you had it didn't
1: matter when you chose because she could have been in college and still saving herself like you didn't have to start when she was in you know, middle school middle school right but right. that was an artistic choice they had chosen. I, I think that was sort of in bad taste, especially right. with the climate that we have now. It's mm-hmm. like, well, why did you... I mean, we know Randall is a terrible person, but you don't have to th- pile on with this unnecessary... Um, the unnecessary direction that you chose. It's,
0: right. I mean, you know. I, I feel like, like I said, even if they had waited till she was later teens, that still would be creepy. But at least realistically speaking, we know that teenagers in that, in that age, 16, 17, 18, they're either thinking about or have already engaged in sex. If he had reached out to her in those years to kind of put that idea, okay, you're not supposed to have sex with anybody, whatever, whatever. I could have understood that it still would have been disturbing, but I could have understood that because she is she would have been at that age where she might have been thinking about exploring those types of things but to do it to a yeah, young and, girl like that it was just it's weird and, and she- what,
1: what makes it worse what what makes it worse is later when she's communicating with him through the pluchette as an adult in prison day is obviously that she's feeling sexual feelings halfway orgasmic and you and your brain is like so he's been doing this her since she was in middle right. school. Right. Oh, this, no.
0: Right. No. Yeah. Right. No. So it, that just.
1: I know that, that, that it puts you, cause then you forget about it, right? After the first scene, and then you're reminded again later, you know, when. It's, when
0: I don't even think it's that I forgot about it. It's just kind of one n- of those things, that particular scene. You know, we've talked about the fact that for the most part, this story is about the people. It's about the choices that they make and what, um, what drives those choices. And with Nadine's character, I feel like showing that he basically claimed her when she was a young child or when she was a younger teenager It's almost like they're trying to say that she really had no choice. Like Mm -hmm. she was singled out. He, you know, basically claimed her as his queen. And she really didn't have any other choice in the matter. You know, Mm kind of like I said, it's almost like grooming is very controlling. It's just, it's very problematic.
1: Well, they 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 all, they seem to be setting her up the same way they set Lloyd up. Like Lloyd was in a lose-lose situation. Lloyd was desperate. Lloyd wanted to get out. And he had no other choice but to take Flagg's position as his right-hand man. With her, she never really had a choice in what she wanted. He basically made her where she is. So between those two characters, I can see them saying... You know, at some point in the future story, they're going to get a chance to make a choice and redeem themselves. And, and that uh, that seems to be manufactured, you know, the way they did it. So because if you do it when she's in college, then she knows right from wrong and she actually has a choice. She can decide. you know, what this guy's kind of creepy. I don't want to do it. But if you do it when she's in, in middle school, then you kind of take that out of the equation. Right. You know what I mean? Now we basically, as viewers, realize, wow, he manipulated her all her life. So she's never had a moment or a chance to choose or know anything different than what he's been offering her. And Lloyd, same thing. Lloyd is in a such precarious position where he, if he says no, he has to stay in the prison and munch on this dude for the rest of his life. Or he takes Randall Flagg's offer and escape, you know, and gets to get out. Right. So, again... We have two characters on Flag's side who had no choice in the matter, as opposed to um um what's his name? Why can't I think his name right now? Larry. No, um well Larry had a choice, so did uh Nick.
0: Nick, yes.
1: And yeah, they, they both had choices and they chose. And what's his name? Had a choice, Harold. He had a choice and he chose.
0: I don't think Harold had had a choice because, and we're gonna talk. Well, about you know, he later. he in his
1: own in his own mind, he when he was writing his story, he was okay. like, "I could choose to be a, a different person. I can choose to be right. new. I can choose to be this new guy." But no, because I want to kill, uh, Franny and Stu. So no, I'm not gonna choose not you know to be that new person or a different person.
0: Yeah, because I was gonna. So say- that
1: was a choice he made
0: there was there was a scene that happens later on in the fourth episode where they're talking about you know the different people who dreams. are coming together who are having the dreams and we kind of realized harold has not dreamt about mother abigail he's only dreamt he about has. the dark man
1: yeah and neither has nadine for obvious reasons. <laughs> uh,
0: of course of yeah. course but we we kind of speculated that with her in the last episode because of the conversation she had with Fran when Fran asked her oh you've been having the dreams and she's Mm -hmm. like yeah I've been having the dreams but again she didn't specify what dreams she was having and now that we know that she's having erotic dreams of Randall Flagg it's kind of obvious
1: since like 13 14 oh
0: you know what so anyway um Larry and Stu So while Nadine is having this dream about, you know, basically the flashback that we see is actually a dream that she's having. And when she wakes up from the dream, she hears like gunshots out in the woods. And it turns out that Larry and Stu have been hunting and we see them walking down the street and they're they're talking about the hunting because apparently Larry is very bad. at it. (laughs) And as they're walking, a car drives down the street past them and it stops. In the middle of the street, and this guy literally falls out the driver's seat. And this man is half dressed, he's only in a shirt and his underwear, and he has bandages on his wrists because he has been crucified like, very obviously, nails driven in between the bones of his uh, wrists. So
1: a proper say, cru- a proper crucifixion a
0: proper crucifixion not the not the improper stakes through the hands that we see um, depicted a lot. Um, he he says something to them when he comes to. He says I he said I couldn't be forgiven until I delivered the message. And when they say what message, he says he's coming. And they take the keys out of the car and they see that he's come from Las Vegas. So they take him to the hospital. Um, I, I guess they have like a makeshift hospital or clinic there and they realize when when they're inside Nick comes in and he basically asks is he from from Las Vegas and Stu's like did Mother Abigail know he was coming and Nick just kind of gestures that she knew this is so different from what we've seen so far because so far we've seen everything happening in boulder like we've heard references to las vegas and we've seen the dark man kind of you know when he appears to them in in his dreams he's out in like a desert atmosphere you kind of see like little neon lights and stuff that kind of reference las vegas but we haven't actually seen anything of las vegas up to this point in the series so now this is the first kind of crossover between those two worlds that we're seeing and it takes a real strange turn because mother mother abigail does come to the clinic to see this gentleman and he tells her that he did dream of her but he went west and he said that um the dark man saved them and then it started turning, like it started getting weird. It started getting scary. Then he started bringing slaves in. And when he mentioned the slaves, he said, I knew at that point I had to escape. I had to get here to you. And when he tried to leave Vegas, apparently Flag somehow knew that he was leaving. And that was when his people captured the guy, crucified him and only agreed to let him down if he delivered a message to Mother Abigail. And at this point, Flag... I guess possesses this guy and gives mother Abigail his message and he basically tells her he says I have your blood in my fist oh mother pray your god takes you before you hear my boots on your steps I'm going to blow your house down and the guy ends up dying I guess that was that was his that was him being forgiven he delivered his message and now he could die but it's just at this point now Everyone has seen that this other person that they've dreamt of because, you know, Franny has mentioned that she has dreamt of him. She dreamt of him holding a clothes hanger, which we all know is, you know, an indicator of abortion. Um, So she's she's scared that the dark man is coming after her baby. Um, Stu has mentioned that he has dreamt of him and some of the others have all mentioned that they've dreamt of him. And even though they know that Mother Abigail is real, they dreamt of her and she's real. I think the threat of the dark man has still been kind of in the back of their minds up until now, because they've really not had anything concrete saying, yes, this man exists or this thing exists. And it's like, now the boogeyman has blown through your front door. You guys should be scared.
1: We, we also get some of that with um, Franny early later, when they're talking about sending spies Mm -hmm. Uh, was that no when they were talking about whether or not to talk about the you know the crucified guy to the rest of everyone else right she's kind of like well you know they don't really need to know anything you know it sounds like she's trying to avoid confronting the whole thing altogether. Mm -hmm. so for for her to be like no you know no one needs to know about it worry about it is like her projecting that. She doesn't want to think about it and doesn't want to know about it.
0: Well, I think she doesn't want to panic everyone, too, because chances are mo- most of those people who are there in the Boulder Free Zone, they are there because they dreamt of Mother Abigail.
1: Right, but some are. of them have probably dreamt of him as mm-hmm. well. But I'm saying she would say, I don't want to panic everyone, but in actuality, she doesn't want to panic herself because even when he, even when Glenn was like, "Yeah, am I not the only one who remembers the eye, the guy's eyes turning black?" Right, and he was like, "We don't really know what we saw." No, that, to you me, saw <laughs>
0: that dude's eyes turn black. You <laughs> so saw. According his... According
1: to Fran, we don't know what we saw.
0: Whatever. So I know what
1: my that, eyes that's are. right. That's what I mean by Fran. She's not worried about trying to stir a panic. She doesn't want to face the reality of this situation. And I think the hanger, I don't think she wants to be confronted with at some point, you know, she tried to kill herself, which would have killed her child. And I'm pretty sure Randall offered her, you know, I could take care of that for you if you come and join me, because I know you don't really want it. It's probably something she doesn't want to face anymore. I'm wondering
0: if she even knew. Well, okay. Yes, she probably did know she was pregnant at that time, but... With everything that was going on, I don't necessarily think that it was that she didn't want the baby. I just think that maybe she thought, okay, everyone else has died. Like my dad has died. The whole town has died. I'm pretty sure that the baby's father died because we see her in this episode. She's getting an ultrasound. She sees the baby. The baby is healthy. The baby has a heartbeat. And what she does is she pulls a picture out of her back pocket And she holds it up towards the screen and she says, look at our baby, Jess. So the baby's father is most likely dead as well. And maybe at that time, because nothing was known about this virus, maybe she felt like it's only a matter of time before she dies too. And she probably didn't want to die the way that her father died. You know, just see what we've seen from the super flu patients that is a painful way to die. It's very right. messy, it's very undignified. And maybe she just thought, okay, if I'm gonna have to die, let me just do it clean quick and be done with it, you know?
1: Yeah, but that that doesn't change the fact that he offered her. He, he probably, the reason why he was holding the hanker was to say either A, this is what you thought about doing or B, I could do this for you and you won't have to worry about the child anymore. I don't I know. Mean, I can relieve you of that burden. That's, that seems to be his modus operandi. It's like, find out what that person desires and offer it to them, like he did with Nick. You know, I can help you talk again, I could give you your eye back. He's offering these things to people that to, to the average person might seem to be a burden, and he's going to relieve them of that burden. The yes. same thing he did with Lloyd. You know, you don't have to eat rats. You don't have to eat that, man. You just come with me, and we can have a real meal. I mean, he—he he, his offer is, I will do this for you. You do something for me, and I'm sure he offered Nadine the opportunity to relieve her of that burden if he would just she would just come join him,
0: and he, he probably
1: has been working been on her
0: as a threat too. He could have said, "Okay, if you mm-hmm. come to me, I can protect you and protect your baby." But if you go there your baby's not going to survive or your baby will be in danger he could have said something like that too to he could
1: to. have but he had a hanger in his hand and we all know what the hanger means you know if okay. he's holding the hanger you know, what know. means. So, yeah
0: but he could like i said he could have been threatening her with that okay if you go to mother abigail i'll make sure you lose your baby you know that yeah. kind of thing so it, it just again we don't know how he chooses the people that he chooses to appear to he may appear to all of them he may appear to none of them you know there may be some people that he doesn't appear to at all because he knows that there is nothing in that person's heart or personality that will turn like
1: tom i'm sure he never appeared to tom no and,
0: and tom says it even when when they're when they're going over with him um and tom cullen is the he's the guy that basically i guess you can say kind of sort of rescues nick or he kind of finds nick and they kind of Mm pal up but tom is developmentally challenged and he has dreamt of mother abigail he says this as much when he meets nick but then later on when they're talking to him about going to spy he says i'm supposed to um, tell you guys if i see the guy that you guys have dreamt about Mm -hmm. like he very specifically says that so we know that he hasn't dreamt about Mm him You know, so, but um, yeah, I just, it, it's interesting to, to think about the fact that the people who have seen both, we know that those are people who are probably good people. Even the guy who came from Vegas, the fact that he dreamt about Mother Abigail probably shows that he had some good intentions or he could have been a good person or he was a good person and was like you said with lloyd um probably just in a difficult circumstance and flag got him out of it and so he joined flag to you know to show his gratefulness for that and then you have the people like nadine who has never dreamt of mother abigail and of harold who is never dreamt of mother abigail again
1: julie i'm sure julie has never dreamt of mother abigail
0: <laughs> but see we don't even know that much about julie because at the point that we meet julie she's lonely
1: yeah she just says she's lonely but she's that makes lonely. her prime real estate for randall flag that's you know?
0: true and and then uh, uh, well okay let's be honest and then just the the terms that she uses with Nick and with uh, Tom and oh. calling him a retard, and just you know the way that she interacts with him, especially once she realizes that Nick can't hear, Nick can't talk, so she can basically say anything to Tom Cullen. And Nick wouldn't be able to correct her or stop her because he doesn't know what she's saying, especially if she's turned away from him. So Yeah, yeah. Nick
1: had good instincts because he knew. He was like, wait a second. Right. I know this bitch is not saying the right
0: thing. Right, because, because he was reading what Tom was saying. He was reading Tom's mm-hmm. lips. And he's like, no, that's not what I said. So yeah, no, now that I think about it, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe Julie was one of those people that was just destined for Randall Flagg. Because you don't find the average good person, or person with a good heart, or person who um, is humane to use those kind of terms that they that she used for Tom and for Nick. So yeah, she probably was destined for Randall Flagg. She was she was loco. But I will say this: so Julie Lowry in the books is described as like this, like half cocked out of control like crazy girl like she's she's lonely she's been lonely for weeks and she's been by herself and then she basically tries to make out with Nick and when he chooses to go with Tom Cullen to try to find Mother Abigail instead of staying with her and sleeping with her she gets upset and she starts shooting at them and I was wondering about how this was gonna go because Catherine McNamara is playing this role and I love her in a lot of stuff that she's done. Um, There's a couple of roles where I've looked at her and I felt like she wasn't the right fit for the character. So I was kind of worried. The moment she opened her mouth and the moment I saw her, I was like, oh yes, I'm here for Cat as Julie Lowry. She was perfect. In this role. You know, we we talked about it in the last episode how there are some of some of the roles that we have on the show, some of the casting we weren't really feeling too much or you know, just didn't seem to be a good fit. She is perfect in this role. She's like one of the few characters that I will say she's 100% this character, like completely this character. I loved it. She was just so cocky and so so
1: country she
0: she talked the way that she spoke that's how i was kind of sort of expecting Stu to speak (laughs) you know with that country (laughs) accent she was just yeah it was great it was great loved it loved it
1: yeah in in the books she i think if i remember she actually her and nick actually have sex yeah and then tom come and And then Tom comes in afterwards.
0: I believe they did. I don't remember.
1: But I do remember her shooting at them, like, trying to snipe (laughs) them. (laughs) You know.
0: Right. Because she was trying to get him to leave Tom Mm -hmm. behind. And uh, he wouldn't do it. Which, you know, again, we already know that Nick is a good person. But, okay, so let's talk about Nick. So
1: I just want to say, this is the problem with this show, is we can't even have this podcast go linearly. It jumps around so much. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 have, we have skipped huge chunks. Oh, yeah, know, we're going to get Because to of how, the, but I'm just saying, it's, it's like, it's just how it's structured. It's not easy because they will do flashbacks in the middle of a, in the midst of a scene. Like when they, when, when Fran is having the ultrasound Mm-hmm. Linearly, they bring the crucified guy in. Right. But in the show, it stops with the ultrasound and then it bounces back right. somewhere else.
0: It goes and back then we bounce. And Harold and Fran met Stu for the first time and then. Yeah. It
1: comes and then back. it bounces to the present at a different time. Mm-hmm. And then it bounces back again. And then it comes back to them bringing him into the, the. And it's like, come on, guys. I have to, in the beginning of the show, I get one thing and have to wait all the way to the end of the show to get the rest of the scene.
0: <laughs> right, right. But since we're talking about Nick, I want to bring this up because we talked about it the last episode about how they take iconic scenes and iconic moments from the book and they changed it. Why the fuck was Nick in a hospital in Shoyo and not the whole jail scene? We got none of the jail scene. We got none of him connecting with the sheriff. We got None of that that was like a whole buildup to who Nick's character was. That I made me so mad. I
1: got nothing for you. That I, made me, for
0: I you. tweeted about that. I was like, why the fuck are we, why are we in a hospital? Why are we in a hospital? And, and then it's like, so the way that we're, the way that we see Nick's backstory, Nick walks into a club, which is weird, but he walks into a club and he accidentally hits a guy with his backpack and of course he doesn't realize that this has happened he sits down at the bar to ask for you know to ask for a drink and the guy comes up to him and he's like fussing at him hey you hit me blah 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 do you hear me talking to you and it's at this moment that we realize that Nick is deaf okay Mm -hmm. so the guy immediately starts punching him you know he takes him they get into a fight and he hits Nick with a ring that is on his hand and he hits him in the eye hits him so hard that nick blacks out and this is when we see his his dream with randall flag where randall basically you know gives us a little bit more of his background you know his his mom was either abandoned him or or died i can't remember but nick has basically been on his own for a long time he's been struggling for a long time he's deaf he's mute and then he says something about his eye. And he's like, I can restore all of that to you. And Nick, Nick signs to him, like, what's wrong with my eye? And he's like, you'll find out in a minute. He was like, but I can give you all of this, blah, 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 blah. And Nick basically flips him off. Mm-hmm. And then he wakes up in the hospital and everybody is already dead. I was like, this is not how this story is supposed to go. Like, we're supposed to see the buildup of Nick's character, like, in the books he was attacked and then we find out that the person who attacked him is actually the brother-in-law of the sheriff and the sheriff knowing what kind of, what kind of an asshole his younger brother-in-law is basically treats nick with kindness he's like okay you know i have you on the cell but you're not a prisoner he basically nurses nick back to health and then as he starts to get sick and he's explaining to nick what's going on in the world they show each other compassion. And even when the brother-in-law comes back to the, um, they actually arrest him. And he's in the cell next to Nick. Sheriff dies. The, wa- the wife of the sheriff dies. Everybody dies. So it's just these guys in the cells. It's Nick and the guys who attacked him. And they start dying one by one. And Nick is still healthy. He actually helps. Um, and I cannot think of what the character's name was. He actually helps him and tries to nurse him back to health, just kind of giving us a glimpse of that humane part of Nick's character. And we see that a little bit in the hospital scene, but I still feel like it doesn't have the same impact as the jail scene did. Like I said, the jail scene was like a big part of Nick's character development in the book and in the original miniseries. And it was just one of those, why? Why? Why change
1: that?
0: Did you it, make it, the story it really, better? By by, it really him wasn't. In the hospital?
1: No, it really wasn't a change. It was just like cut for time. I mean, how can we sum all this up in one scene? We'll just have the guy that beat him, you know, have him nurse, you know, help him transition to the other side, show mercy. And they and I think maybe they just felt like this. We may think that scene is iconic, but in the grand scheme of things, as far as Nick goes, they've already established that he's a good person. Like, <laughs> if you can see Hanukkah's face right now. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's, it's like when you look at it, okay. All the things that you said about the jailhouse scene was true, but the sheriff dies. He's not important. The people that beat him die. This is not really important. The important thing is showing that Nick has compassion. Well, they show that Nick has compassion. You don't need all the other stuff. I mean, they, 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 to them and to whoever wrote this, whoever decided, you know, I think Stephen King was part of the writing team. and. Eh. Just cut that. We, we can sum it up in this one little scene and we have more time to bounce back and forth and tell everyone's past stories instead of, you know, wasting all this time on Nick. Because we know who Nick is and they, they've shown us who Nick is. You know? Even Nick's interaction with Tom shows you that he's a compassionate, kind and caring person. Flipping off Randall Flagg, like I don't need, I, I have a voice, you know. I, I, my eye, I don't really care. Move, i mean it's they I should know. have
0: kept it the way it was <laughs> and we
1: already we had, had lloyd in the jail they, they don't want they're not gonna want to repeat repeat that stuff they already did lloyd that's in the how it was
0: written and that's how it worked i mean again when we watch adaptations of books that we love we're watching the adaptations because we love the fucking book we love the original story So why change that, especially if it doesn't add anything to your story?
1: Hanukkah, you know, (laughs) Hollywood has a long history of not having adaptations. And I
0: have a long history of complaining (laughs) about the fact that
1: those adaptations
0: (laughs) make these these ridiculous, uncalled-for, unnecessary changes.
1: You know, sometimes Uh, changes are good sometimes changes are necessary and sometimes changes are just because they want to be different and a lot of the stand tends to be we're going to keep some stuff in but they've already told us up front the end is not going to be like the book so that tells you right there that their whole goal is to make it different than the book so it's an adaptation it's a loose adaptation Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and and that that is the direction they decided to go think about all the little changes they made uh, so far in these four episodes mm-hmm. from what we know the book they've made some minor adjustments to characters some minor changes but I think all of these changes have a reason there's a reason why we don't get Nick in a jail cell with the show because it it doesn't, it's not going to contribute to the end that they have in in sight. Just like Larry not being in the Lincoln Tunnel, that is something that they said, you know, it's better if we put him in, you know, the sewer, (laughs) his his shit water with rats, you know, we're going to do that instead, because who knows? Maybe they have something else planned about a tunnel. I I mean, I really don't know what what these these choices make no sense. So the simplest explanation is they only chose to do it to make it different. That's the only reason. We're just going to make it different. We're not going to give everyone what they want. Just because he's, all these hundreds of millions of people have read The Stand, we're not going to give you a real adaptation of The Stand. We're going to give you something different. And Stephen King is sitting there like, oh, yeah, if I could have changed that, ah, this is how I would have done it. And so they do it. You know, why didn't we get Kareem Abdul-Jabbar walking around yelling, there's a monster. The monsters are coming. They they put a disembodied voice way right. off in the distance.
0: Right, exactly.
1: But what is... No, what is there's nothing more iconic than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar walking around <laughs> saying the monster. there's monsters coming. The monsters are coming. I'm, I'm, I I didn't like that choice. I consider that iconic, but it's not in there.
0: Yeah, it's, instead we got a man they, in a hospital gown and like, potato chips talking about how he was going to streak in Yankee Stadium <laughs> and jerk off on home base. Like that
1: is, that is what we got. You know, but we don't get the iconic the, the monster Because then you set it up because we I know we're going back, but when Larry was with uh, Rita, Rita mm-hmm. and, and you can hear him outside of the window yelling, "The monsters are coming!" Right. I'm I'm just saying, but you don't you don't give it to us. You know, I don't know. Maybe LeBron James was not available, but <laughs> you can just say give, give us something you know but they don't want to give us that iconic scene because if you watch the trailer for the original the original mini series that scene is in yes. there. We came up the bar <laughs> walking is. around with his sign. I'm just saying it's iconic, but it's not in there right. because they decided it wasn't important. It was more per- important to have this guy talk about jerking off on home plate. <laughs> that was more important.
0: That was yeah. more to look, that was more 2020 than than
1: <laughs> 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 again. They I heard something today like if you want to change something just for the sake of changing it, then it's not really worth changing. And it seems to that's the direction they're taking. Like, why would you want to make Nadine a 13-year-old, you know, being groomed by this ancient demon, and she's been an orgasmic bliss for most of her life? That's just terrible and disgusting. But that was a choice you guys made. You know, Why? because you could just because you could do something doesn't mean you should and and I don't know I'm I'm not getting my hopes up for the rest of the show because I just all I foresee is bad decision after bad decision after bad decision just to give us an ending that is different from the book the source material
0: and that's the only thing I can think of now is like with you mentioning the fact that we already have been told that the ending is going to be different. All of these changes have to be bec- to, you know, towards that end. Has like, to be. What is it that you guys are doing that's so different? And I'm almost scared to ask like, you know what? I won't even say that because there might be some people who aren't familiar with the source material or the original miniseries and they don't know how it ends so the
1: book is over 40 years old i know if we're gonna spoil the hand of god ending <laughs> uh, that is unfortunate but we all know from the miniseries those who don't know the hand <laughs> of god comes down at the end and fixes everything, basically and well to, Not it's off the bomb. It, 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 it blows it, up las vegas right,
0: right. it blows up yeah. all of randall flag's followers and basically i think um the three people or the f- the three people who are about to be killed from Vol- boulder free zone they are there on the stage and i think the hand of god either saves them from the sacrifice or basically kills them before you know takes them you know, takes them to heaven <laughs> yeah. before this bomb goes
1: out. But yeah. yeah. So, but but the, the thing is, the thing is, in the book, when you read it, I was explaining this to someone the other day in the book, you read it and it works in the book. It works because it's text. But with any ad- adaptation, when you see it in the original <laughs> miniseries, it looks absolutely ridiculous.
0: Yes, but you got to think about and the CGI unbound. and graphic <laughs> no, in no, 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 ninety-four. No, this can be
1: a no, whole lot how of... <laughs> no, no matter how good your scenes, ILM could have done the best, greatest job ever. As a matter of fact, I think ILM is doing the special effects in the series. Oh, okay. But the hand is coming down out of the sky. I don't care how good it looks. It's gonna look ridiculous. Well,
0: maybe it's not gonna be a actual literal hand this time. Well, anyway, look, we are really
1: getting. The, but, the, topic now. I know we are, but the, the point is, you're <laughs> right, and and I know I keep saying this, but it seems like there are some decisions that have been made that's gonna make it more about the choices that people make it at the end, as opposed to something outside, external, that's going to make the choice for everyone. So instead of getting a hand of God, we're going to get someone who maybe at the end, whether it be Harold, or whether it be um, Nadine, or someone is going to have Aloy have a change of heart, and they're going to be the one to press the button on the bomb. You know, who knows what the end is going, going to be, but it seems like all of these choices are being made towards that end. Like, we're going to make the ending different. So there's some things that we're going to have to put in and some things we're going to have to take out in order to get us to that ending.
0: Mm. You know, like,
1: we get the scene. I know we're jumping around, but Stu, you know, meets up with Nadine, no, with um, Fran. And and, right, in the book, he stays with them. Mm -hmm. but here he doesn't
0: because harold has to pull his overprotective possessive oh so do you want to go with him or you want to stay with the person who saved your life you know who has watched over you for the last few weeks who literally saved your life in ogunkwood and he says this so loud like Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it's disrespectful in a way like immediately and when Stu presents himself to harold he does so in a very non-threatening way he's just basically like yo i just wanted to make sure i introduced myself while you had the rifle down hey blah 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 i've been following you know i've been you know following you guys and of course again harold you've been leaving signs all over the country so like Fran says if you didn't want people to find you why do that you know but he immediately looks at stews as as you mentioned last episode his everyday demeanor his good looks his charm he looks at this and he's immediately threatened okay so he's basically like oh you know now you you're gonna go with him or you're gonna stay with me so of course Fran feels I won't even say protective of Harold but you know this is the a person that she has known pretty much all her life this is a person Mm -hmm. who did save her life so she does feel a sense of loyalty and like okay we need we we protect each other we got to have each other's backs so she and harold leave and then they end up meeting up with Stu later due to some other circumstances like basically mother abigail has her hands all over the place she's got her Mm -hmm. hands and all in in the pot so,
1: oh, hold on, but, but before you move on, uh, the one thing I want to say is I think the choice to have Stu not join them was for two things one was to have us hate e- Harold even more to mm-hmm. show how terrible a person mm-hmm. he is, and secondly, to set up what happens later when, um, when they come across the the guy who the um, trap
0: yeah mm-hmm. the,
1: yeah the trap mm-hmm. that's to set that up too because if Stu's with him that doesn't happen right and and it's again that whole scene to me um you want to set it up
0: which one the trap yeah we we the can trap work. so but before we get to the trap oh, we before can, we get to that okay we have to get to Stu meeting with glenn mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. after Stu. And friend and Harold, they part ways. Stu is just walking and he comes across a dog, which is the first animal I think we've seen since this whole thing started. And the dog is with an owner, and the owner is Glenn Bateman. And um, you know, they they basically kind of fill each other out, notice, you know, realize that they're both friendlies, I guess if you can put it that way, considering the way that Harold has acted. And Glenn takes. Stu back to his house and he feeds him and you know they have some conversation glenn is a very chatty person in this one in this version Mm -hmm. he's a very chatty person so he apparently likes to smoke and he likes to talk and he likes to be a little philosophical and so we see them bonding and I guess at this point it's kind of like, okay, well, Stu, you know, you you can stay here as long as you want. This is where Glenn has been since all of this has gone down. And one of the things about Glenn is he's an artist. So while he's asleep, Stu just kind of goes and looks at some of his paintings. And one of the paintings that Glenn has is a painting of an old house. This is the original Hemingford house. Uh, from the original series. So I was glad that they put that in there because I I griped about it the last episode about the fact that Mother Abigail was not in her Hemingford home that she Mm should have been in. The second is an actual um, painting of Mother Abigail. Like all the details and she's in the cornfield so Stu wakes up Glenn and he's like tell me about this painting and Glenn kind of brushes it off like oh that's just somebody you know somebody I I, I had a dream about it was the most vivid dream I've ever had and Stu is like I've seen her too are we having the same dream and Glenn's like no this is probably somebody from a commercial on something and then Stu mentions her name and says that I'm supposed, you know, she's come to me in my dreams and told me I'm supposed to come to her in Boulder. And then Glenn is the one who says the phrase Hemingford home. So they realize they are having the same dream about the same person. Mm -hmm. Stu goes to look and see what other things Glenn has been drawing. And he comes across a painting of Fran and Fran is pregnant in this painting which of course we all know as viewers but nobody else knows at this point Harold doesn't even know that Fran is pregnant so when he asked Glenn about this he's like this is the girl I met yesterday the one I told you about and Glenn's like you didn't tell me she was pregnant he's like she wasn't pregnant at least not that I could tell and Glenn realized he's like I drew that painting three days ago so they realized that there are things working to Kind of bring them all together. So they decide to pack up things and they go looking for Howard and Fran. And then we get to the point that Anthony was talking about. There's a trap. So while Fran and Harold are driving across country, going wherever it is they're going, they come across a roadblock. There's an 18 wheeler in the street and it's kind of blocking the streetway, and there are cars on either side of it. So they can't really get around it. They think the driver is dead and it turns out the driver isn't dead. He's basically setting a trap. Um, so he he binds their arms and then he opens up the back of his cab and he has two other women back there that he's holding captive. So obviously this is one of those masochist sick men who feel like women are you know, toys for his amusement or whatever the case may be. We know he doesn't have good intentions here. And he sees that Harold is not um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a nice way to put it
1: Well well he gives a, he gives a speech about about you know basically the world had gone soft and it, it was equalized for everybody and alpha males didn't have a chance and he's an alpha male And so he says, you know if you want to prove, that you got what it takes, you know, young man, you can come, you know, take the pride from me, because I'm the male, Right. And and so he just wanted to show... The, so he wanted to
0: emasculate Har- Harold, basically. Yeah. yeah.
1: He's be
0: like, okay, you know what, I'm the strong one, you're the weak one. I mean, he made comments about his appearance and then, of course, Fran says, you know, don't hurt him. And he's like, oh, she wants to protect you and blah, blah, blah. So he commences to beating Harold up, okay? And Harold gets in a good throw, he gets in a good punch, but of course Harold is not a fighter. No. And this dude looks like he's been in a couple of fights. So he basically kicks Harold's ass, okay? And while he's got his attention focused on Harold, the two ladies who were in the back of the cab, they realize that there's a metal pipe over to the side and they, you know, they try to grab the pipe and um attack him so that you know while he has his back turned and this does not work out the way that they expect it to because this guy has a gun of course he's being intimidated. he he's threatened to shoot franny if harold didn't fight him and all this other stuff so while they're struggling one of the girls is struggling with him after hitting him with the pipe and as she pulls his arm back, he pulls the trigger and shoots the other woman. So we've got one woman down, Franny's over to the side. Of course, she's not really doing anything because one, she's pregnant. She's probably scared about what's gonna happen to her baby. And two, she's just trying to figure out like what's going on. Like again, this other chick and this guy, they're fighting, Franny is still tied up. They can't really do anything. And then as this is happening, here comes a truck or here comes a car and it's Stu, I'm um, excuse. Yeah. It's Stu and Glenn. Mm-hmm. And so this guy, you know, he actually shoots at them and that's when the the fight actually starts. And, you know, the mm-hmm. other lady gets shot, Stu and Glenn come out. They actually, um, they're trying to rescue the rest of them. But this other girl that's in the back of the truck who was attacking this guy, she's not one to play with. Like, she hits him in the head with the pipe and she literally, bat, like, she pulled a Negan on him. She bashed his head in with his metal pipe <laughs> and killed him because, of course, he also killed the other lady that she was with, so she's, like, pissed. Like, she kills him and Harold is sitting there on the ground scared.
1: In the Franny, fetal position. Right, in a fetal like position.
0: A Franny is looking around like, she's like taking in, I think she's in shock at this point because she's like taking in everything that's happening. You've got this one woman on the ground with her brains blown out. You've got this other guy on the ground with his brain bashed in. You've got the lady who we find out her name is Dana. She's sitting there screaming because I guess all of it was just too much for her. And then Stu comes over to Harold to try to see if he's okay and Harold screams because he doesn't know what's going on he doesn't realize what's going on and when he sees that it's Stu he has a range of emotions that goes across his face one he's a little relieved that it's not somebody else coming to hurt him but two he's angry because it's Stu who has you know who is checking on him to make sure that he's okay and then i think three he's also pissed and a little embarrassed because this is the position Stu has found him in. You know, so he was already feeling he was already feeling some kind of way about Stu because we see a scene in the show where he and Fran are Camping out for the night, and I guess this is like maybe the same night or a a couple of days after they've met. Stu. It was the
1: same night because they were on the school bus. That was the same scene.
0: No, I'm talking about before. There, there was a scene where. Oh,
1: oh, yeah, before under the bridge again. We go bouncing back, right? Bounce back again because
0: because that this scene happened after the other scene. Yeah. So anyway, Harold basically declares his love for Franny. And he tells her, look, this is how it's supposed to be. That's why we were the only two left in a gunk. Like, he really thinks that this is a sign that they are supposed to be together. He's like, I love you. Please, Franny. we're supposed to be together. And she's like, no, Harold, I don't love you. I will never love you like that. And, you know, again, she has to be very, um, she has to be very forceful with it, which in this case, I don't have a problem with because Harold is not one who takes cues very well. You know, but um, you did
1: see after after she said that, she realized she said it the wrong way. Right. Because immediately she was like, um, are we good, Harold? Right. You know what I mean? Because I think she realized she's
0: she's worried worried now because she's like, Oh yeah, she
1: said she said the she said it, she said the right thing, but she said it the wrong way. Wrong
0: way. Yeah. But it's so so funny too, because when she says, I will never love you, he automatically thinks it's because of Stu. It's kind of like, dude, y'all just met him a few hours ago. Like, so even if she had any kind of feelings for you up to this point, you think that her meeting this one guy for five minutes is enough to be like, oh, my God, I'm in love with him. I'll never love you. What is wrong with you, Harold? Like, (laughs) you know, it's so funny because. When we meet Tom Cullen in the show, Tom Cullen goes through this whole memorized speech. He's like, my name is Tom Cullen. I'm 42 years old. I am developmentally challenged. I don't read social cues very well. And I mean, he says all of this like it's rehearsed. like This is something that he has been told to memorize and tell to people when he meets them. But it's so funny because I feel like that's what Harold needs to be saying. Harold does not take social cues. (laughs) He does not read the room. He does not like... There's something about him that's like so, so off. And it's kind of like y'all been traveling together for weeks now, weeks. He says this, y'all been y'all have been together for weeks. If she ain't shown no interest in you by now, she don't want you, buddy. Except it and move
1: um, on. <laughs> well, uh, and I realize yeah, that's what... easy
0: for me to say. <laughs> But still it's kind of
1: like ugh. Well okay. All right, I, I have a few things to say about Harold. If you remember back, uh, I can't remember much about him from the book, but if you remember back in this series, how his mother spoke to him, mm-hmm. you know, kind of condescendingly how his sister spoke to him, mm-hmm. sort of condescending. I can only imagine how his father father spoke to him mm-hmm. or treated him. So so I I will say that. Also, I was kind of rooting for him. I was thinking that this was going to be his moment to shine. Like he's going to get that get one lick in and pull the gun from his ankle holster cuz remember Stu said I you have, you know, you have a gun on your ankle when. He, so, I was thinking, okay, he's going to reach for the gun when he gets knocked down and shoot this guy in the head and then he could tell um friend that, "Oh, I saved you again." You know, but no, we actually get quite the opposite. We get a situation that where, <laughs> yeah, and and friends are gonna look at you like, "Wow, Harold, you really like? Why would I at this point? Why would I ever want to be with you?"
0: Mm-hmm. But you again, know, like, you
1: just gave up. You just balled up and just gave up to whatever was gonna happen to us and to you. Like you didn't even, you don't even desire her enough to sacrifice herself, mm-hmm. like. But again, that, one but again
0: that scene happened the day after he declared his love for her. Because when they pulled up on the oh, scene, you know, she was trying to make like a light joke with him just to kind of I guess break the tension. And he was just looking at her like, bitch, why are you speaking to me? Like he had that look. He wouldn't speak to her. He just kind of ignored her. So this is already after all of that has happened. So at this yeah,
1: point,
0: well it, you know that case should have been like,
1: you know what? You can have her, you know. He could just say he could have saved his own, but, self he's, not, he but
0: he's not gonna do that because this guy is challenging him and challenging his worth as a man or whatever. And well
1: he, he didn't he did Harold crumbled.
0: Yeah, he did. Well, I mean he tried
1: like a to stand
0: up to himself. Paper tried. gloves.
1: He just, just crumbled.
0: <laughs> he tried. He tried. He got a punch in. Now, granted, he that, hurt hand when he got that
1: punch but, yeah, but he, he didn't tried. Even, I
0: will give him that. He tried.
1: I, I can't even give him that he tried. That was more or less a reflex. You know, that was more or less a reflex. It's like his fight or flight instinct didn't even really kick in. He just crumbled. He threw that one punch, hurt his hand. He didn't follow up and he was done and the guy knew it he was like oh that's all you got yeah and then he was done i mean but the looking at it i'm just like at this point at this point you you had a choice where you could have shown friend what you were really made of and maybe you changed her mind about you and you couldn't you couldn't do it yeah not not even that you couldn't do it you refused like you just utterly, completely, just gave up. Like he seemed like he was like, okay, I'm ready to die now. <laughs> you know what I mean? He fell to the ground and that was it for him. You well, know what that, I mean? That, the guy was like <laughs> and and you know, and uh, and sadly for him, Stu does come to the rescue. Like I said, they had to write it this way because. I think they they, they want to draw even more of a contrast between Stu and Harold, mm-hmm. which at this point really isn't necessary. Right. Again, I would have sacrificed this scene for you and they could have had the jailhouse scene with Nick. Yeah, it was almost, they could have found another way to introduce, um, what was her name? The Dana. The girl that, Dana. yeah, they could have found another way to introduce Dana. I'm just like, whatever, guys. It, it, it seemed like one of the, it, it, it again, it's a manufactured circumstance to, to put us somewhere where we already know we're going. We already yeah. know how bad Harold is. We already know Stu's the perfect man. You know, we already know, we're going to learn later that Dana's a badass. I'm just like, but so what is the purpose of this scene?
0: Well, I think the purpose of the scene was, in fact, to show us that Dana is a badass because she ends up being one of the people who agrees to go and be a spy in Vegas. And Fran is the one who nominates her for that position, I think, because of what happened that day. She sees that Dana is a person who is strong. Dana is a person who can handle herself. So I think that was the purpose of the scene, but it's kind of like you threw a couple of different things in with this scene. So you're showing us that Dana is a badass and that she can fight, she can handle herself. You're showing us that Harold is weak. Harold has no spine and he's basically a coward. You bring Stu and Glenn in and I think they did it with both of them so that supposedly the focus isn't on Stu in this moment. Like it wasn't. Right, and
1: that's why it wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't Stu and Glenn to the rescue because they, they had already rescued them.
0: Right. Yeah. But by you know, I'm Glenn they got
1: there. It was over.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I think you also have Glenn in that scene so that the focus is not just on Stu, because if you think about it, when yeah. Stu reached down for Harold, and Harold turned over, he sees Stu, but there's also Glenn in his vision, in his visual as well, so it's not necessarily, oh, Stu found me like this, it's both of these guys, so in a way, that can be a good thing, because you can't say that Stu saved me, you know, these, both of these guys came, and, you know, kind of gave enough of a distraction that they were that dana was able to kill this man but at the same time now you've got not one person but two people who are looking at you cowering on the ground and thinking oh my god what a what a coward you know but then they fix that in the next scene because we get the scene where they're all together and they're they're talking about the fact that they've all been having these dreams of mother abigail and Stu tells them their plans to go to Boulder. And he's like, We want to see if you guys want to come with us. And Fran makes the comment to Harold I wonder why we didn't realize that we were having the same dreams before. And mm-hmm. Harold gives her that look. And that's when we realize Harold is not dreaming about Mother Abigail. That's why it was never mentioned. He's not having those dreams. But then later on, Fran can't sleep and she goes out and Stu is out there. You know, they have built the fire and they start having a conversation and she confides in him that she is pregnant, something that she has not told anybody else except for her father. And she says as much. She was like, my father is the only person who knew. So that means that everybody died before she couldn't, she didn't even have a chance to tell the, ba- the baby's father. He doesn't know. Mm-hmm harold didn't know but at this point harold overhears the conversation so here it is again this girl that you love that you've been traveling with for weeks has not told you anything about herself or this big thing that she's holding on to and she tells a stranger that she met the day before so yeah now you can kind of see like they're plant they're laying it out for us now why harold has so much hate for Stu and fran in the first episode like now we're starting to see it but again y'all could have gave this to us earlier and then built up you know
1: yeah 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 Yeah. know they, they'd rather beat us over the head with a the two-by-four then just you know let it develop organically
0: right right but um there are a couple of things that i did like about this episode um we also get Background on how Larry came to meet up with Nadine and Joe. Mm-hmm. And it's basically because I guess he passed by them on the street and Joe, Joe being traumatized the way that he was, he basically attacked Larry with a knife.
1: He, you know? I, I watched it again. He actually did hit him with the knife. He hit him just, with the knife. It wasn't, but maybe, it wasn't hard enough to go through.
0: I don't think so. Or maybe no. it was the strap of the bag that Larry mm-hmm. was on. Maybe it kind of kept him. But, um, you know, and he does not admit in this in this scene because Nadine says, we would like to go with you. And he was like, no, he was like, I made it out of New York with with someone and she killed herself. So maybe I'm supposed to be alone. So we do have confirmation Rita did indeed kill herself.
1: Rita, Rita did.
0: Yeah, she's dead. And, um, you know, Nadine basically convinces him to allow them to travel together. So then we see a scene where they're in a stadium and I couldn't, I couldn't tell what stadium they were in at this point. I know it wasn't New York because they were already out of New York, you know, according to what he says. So they were in a baseball stadium somewhere and he's playing and he's singing the baby Can I Dig Your Man? So I'm glad that they actually put that in there because that was Mm -hmm. a big thing in the books. You know, this is what he was known for. So he's singing it and Joe is kind of looking at him intently. And this is the first time that we've really seen Joe just kind of, you know, calm and not feral, I guess that is a good way to put it. And he, you know, he plays a little something for Joe and gives Joe the guitar because Joe shows interest and Joe picks up the guitar and plays back exactly what Larry has just played. So if this child is a prodigy or he's had lessons before, but it's the first sign that we see of Joe being not traumatized. And mm-hmm. I liked that that little scene in, in this because it's like when we see a lot of the flashback scenes, we're still seeing some trauma of some sort or some kind of dissidence or some kind of drama with all of the characters. And we see this one sweet little moment between this kid who apparently up until that point was kind of unreachable. And he has this moment where he connects with this stranger and it turns into a sweet moment. I'm glad that they put that in there. It was a very nice scene to see. And then it also kind of shows how joe is joe is very good at reading people it seems Mm -hmm. you know we talked about how the first time he met harold in the previous episodes he kind of backed away from him like he didn't feel comfortable with him like something about harold set him off bothered him and we see that again in this episode where nadine and joe are going to the old school because they're about to start trying to get the school up and running for the kids that are there in boulder they're touring one of the classrooms and Joe, you know he moves a box and he sees like there's blood on the you know a blood stain in the carpet and um trevor the guy who is harold's friend calls harold into the classroom to clean it up and when harold comes in joe looks at him with fear And Mm -hmm. also kind of like with disgust, he like, Harold comes in and he backs up like, oh, no, I don't want to be around him. And it's just kind of like, we don't know if that's intuition or if it's something that he's seen. We don't know if Joe is having the dreams about Mother Abigail. He might. And or there may be something that he has seen about Harold that makes him uncomfortable. But he- I think it's
1: just intuition. I think it's just intuition. Yeah, yeah. Because he's he's not getting that from he's not getting that from Nadine. But Nadine hasn't really had any any mal she hasn't shown any like other than being a spy, we haven't seen her actually do anything terrible. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like she doesn't seem to have any malcontent in her.
0: Well the other thing not yet. Is- not
1: yet. But 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 Harold is a walking billboard Mm -hmm. of I hate the world and people are going to be punished. And Joe picks up. I think I think Joe's picking up on that. Like he can tell that Harold is his his. We always say that autistic kids they aren't able to show their affect, but they're able to read other people's affect. And one of the things that we try to give them to do is. You know, express how they feel through their facial expressions. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, that's why we have the chart with all the different. How do you feel today? And they get to pick which one how they feel because they can't show it. But they're good at looking at other people and picking up on those nonverbal cues. And it appears that he's picking up on a lot of bad vibes from Harold. Mm-hmm. Because honestly, you can look at Harold and you can tell Harold's a creep. Yeah. First of all. I mean, and I even, hate to say that about a person but you no. can look at him until everything his whole affect is fake. You can just see it looks like all the facade. You when
0: they're and- in the meeting, the Boulder free zone meeting and they're they're talking about electing a new ad hoc committee. Harold is the one that stands up and he's like, "Hey, you guys are doing such a great job. I you know, I nominate that we keep you all on the c- committee permanently." And the smile that he gives now, the funny thing is in his house in Boulder, he has taped to his bathroom mirror, an old cutout of Tom Cruise on a magazine cover. And he's got that, that weird smile and he practices his smile in the bathroom mirror. And it looks so fake and it looks so the point cute. and smile, right? That ha. <laughs> and he, that's literally what he does in this meeting and when he stood up in this meeting again in a full suit in a to a, he wore a full suit to a community meeting like it was one of those <laughs> i looked at him <laughs> i know the look on my face now, but it was kind of like how do y'all not see like even the way that he he was like hi I would like to commit I would like to nominate you all for blah blah blah. And it was kind of like, how do you not see how how do you guys not see
1: this? Go back, go back and watch it and look at Nadine's face. Not Nadine's face, Fran. Fran has this deadpan look on her face, like
0: Fran is like, what the fuck? What? Yes.
1: Yes. (laughs) Everyone else is like, oh, okay, okay, okay. But But she does
0: because she knows him. But everybody else is kind of like even if you don't know him you should be able to point out when somebody is being fake and when they are overdoing their act and he was doing both and it was just so weird and it was just kind of like how do you guys not see this how do y'all not feel this
1: mm-hmm. yeah but yeah. Ugh, yeah. yeah yeah and i think that's what joe's picking up on and and I, I don't know, Joe, like, even when they went to the house, when they got to Boulder and they went to the house and Fran asked Nadine to, would she keep an eye on Joe? Would she watch Joe and be, she's like, be his brother? She's like, uh, yeah, pretty much. And she's like, whatever. <laughs> and he goes into the house and he's under the bed. Yeah. Like, w- w- what is going on with you, buddy? You know?
0: Yeah but i think too so we say that joe can can kind of sense what people are and he hasn't sensed anything i won't say anything wrong about nadine but he doesn't seem as comfortable with nadine i would say as he does as he seems with larry right like it's almost like he knows something is off about nadine but he can't put his hands on it like
1: and and it's not as obvious as it is with Harold right
0: right and and the thing is at so at the end of episode three um well at the beginning of the episode we see Nadine comes downstairs in the house and there's a planchette game on the shelf in this house what are the odds you know (laughs) especially after seeing her backstory. So towards the end of the episode, she pulls the planchette down and she starts to mess with it. And this is when she steps into the dream world where she she actually talks to Randall Flagg. And she tells him that she doesn't like it in Boulder because she can't feel him there. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons why Joe doesn't suspect anything with her because she doesn't feel Randall Flagg, so she's not acting as if she's under his influence. Like, I think Nadine probably could be a good person or could have been a good person, but she already has it in her mind that she's earmarked for him, you know. Mm-hmm. And like you said, that whole little scene with them, it comes across as very, um, very lustful, very erotic. Like she's basically telling him, I'm lonely. I want to be with you. I want to come to Vegas. And this is when he tells her, no, I need you to be my eyes and Boulder. And then he also tells her, I need you to kill the old woman and the five people she put in charge. So basically he wants her to kill mother, Abigail, Nick, Glenn, Fran, Stu, and Larry. And he mm-hmm. says, I have a weapon for you. You just have to go and find him. And he says, but tend to the kid and breaks the connection. And she comes to, and Joe is standing there staring at her. And, you know, she's trying to play it off and he's looking at her. And then he looks down at the table and his face changes. I didn't notice it the first time I watched it. I noticed it the second time. It's almost like he saw what was written on the paper and his face changed. Like, what are you doing? And he's a little bit skittish with her, When she tries to take him out the room you know away from there because the planchette has written harold louder on the paper so apparently this is this is flag's plan he's gonna have nadine use harold to do whatever damage he's gonna do in boulder and we find this out in the next episode because when harold comes back to his house from the Boulder Free Zone meeting, Nadine is waiting for him at the house, and they go inside. And she basically goes into this slow seduction of Harold. She,
1: and she throws herself at him.
0: She throws herself at him, <laughs> she but she also herself. tells him that this is what Randall Flag wants. He has picked you out. He wants us to work together. Um, he wants us to destroy Boulder. He wants us to kill these people. Oh, and by the way. Um, I know you're a virgin I'm a virgin too you can't have sex with me but we can do anything else and this is what he wants so basically again Randall Flagg is exploiting a weakness in someone to bring them over to his side and it's like she doesn't even have to say much like she literally gets in his lap she dry, gyrates once and it's all over he's
1: <laughs> it's
0: all over for him he's like I'm sorry and, and
1: oh, she's like oh you don't have to apologize she she didn't want anything anyway from him so
0: she, she didn't because when, when it happened but she was kind of irritated though she was irritated because when when it happened she kind of rolled her eyes above his head as she got off of him and she was like look just figure out how to kill them and she gets up and she walks out <laughs> it was just like that was probably the worst experience ever it's probably good for him, but yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's just. So we already see that this is going to be the start of the partnership that supposedly will bring Boulder down. And
1: mm-hmm. well, since we're in episode four, you can go into, we can go into what his, you know, what, how he comes up with this plan. Yeah.
0: So during the meeting, the boulder free zone meeting they talk about forming a watch committee and it's basically because every you know everybody's already spooked about the fact that the guy from vegas came in they don't know where he came from and the committee is being very selective about what they tell them because they don't want anybody to panic like we mentioned earlier so they basically say well the thing with this guy was he you know he came across the wrong person And there are bad people out there and we need to form watch committees to kind of secure Boulder, make sure that everything is okay. It's not necessarily like a police force, but just, you know, someone to patrol the perimeters, make sure everything is safe within the town. So everyone who was on the body crew gets asked to be on this committee as well. And that includes Trevor and that includes Harold. So while they're being given their little uniforms the next day, Harold reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a brochure and it's a brochure for one of the park services there in Boulder. And it talks about, um, it talks about the ski slopes and avalanches and what they do to like clear the slopes and everything. And it talks about explosives. So this is where Harold gets the idea. Oh, they have explosives here. We're going to blow up the place you know and he eventually goes to this place him and nadine they go to this place i can't remember was it like a ski lodge or a, it was like
1: a i think it was i think it was the um like the ranger like wherever the, the ranger station
0: okay so they they go there at night while everybody else is in town Waiting for the lights to be turned on because the the team that's been working on the electricity they are they have like a, a deadline or a um, they have a scheduled event to turn all the lights on in Boulder. So while everyone else is there, they go to this ski lodge or this uh, ranger lodge and they find like a whole shed full of explosives. And they get mm-hmm. the explosives and and they're they're getting ready to load it on the cars. And Trevor, is it Trevor or Teddy? I think it's Teddy, Harold's friend. He finds Nadine and he sees her taking these explosives off. And he's like, you know, she's thinking that nobody else is there. And he's like, yeah, I'm on the watch team. We're supposed to be checking out all the buildings, make sure everything is secure. And he's looking like, um, so what you doing? Because of course you see her cart with a cart full of explosives You want to know what the hell she's doing. And then Harold, your buddy, comes around the corner and he's like trying to defuse the situation like, oh, hey, what's going on? And while he's trying to talk to him, Nadine shoots the guy and kills him. And that made me sad because I liked that character. But here's the thing. So Harold, once he realized he's been shot, he goes over to catch him, you know, to catch his friend and this is the only friend that harold has in boulder which sucks Mm -hmm. but he goes over to catch him and he says to harold run he's like i'm dying but i'm still gonna look out for my friend you need to run before she kills you and then he dies and i was like okay harold if i didn't like you before i really don't like you now (laughs) like you just let your friend get shot
1: yeah, and well, there's and, no redemption thing is, for you now. I think I want to say, I think Teddy was his name. I think okay, Teddy, yeah. Teddy, I don't think Teddy realized that he was with him. I think Teddy, that he was with her. I think Teddy thought that he stumbled across the lights just like he did. Mm-hmm. You know, because like, you know her, don't you? And then <laughs> she shot him. Right. He told him to run. <laughs> like, looking out for him. Right. So I, 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 it, it, I feel bad because it's almost a mirror of the scene where, where Harold saved his life. You know, where he caught him before he fell into the thing and here he's catching him again, but he can't save him. And, and it's like, that's the story of Harold's life. And my first thought was like you, that was like your only friend. Like that was the one person that actually thought you were kind of a good guy and was was being buddy buddy with you and showing you all his hopes and wishes and right. dreams and he
0: like he he was supposed to be your business partner you know he was like when yeah. I do this movie theater I mean you know I always looked at this as a two man crew like <laughs> he embraced you even with all your creepiness he embraced you and you know he was kind of off himself he was I won't say off he was just he was genuinely one of those people who always sees the glass half full instead of half empty. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like every time you came across this character in this show, in these first four episodes, he was always smiling. He was always cracking a joke. He was always in a good mood. Even when you're sitting there dumping bodies and burying bodies, he still managed to have a good attitude about it. And the fact Mm -hmm. that now he's gone, I'm like... (laughs) All right, this is where the bullshit begins because now the now the good people are starting to die. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just like
1: oh. But it was like when they when they threw the um when they threw the the crucified guy into the thing, and mm. he was like, "This is going to be the first to many." You know, I feel like this is going to be the first to many because mm. it was the first person they buried who had died from the disease. From, yeah. from Captain Trips.
0: Yeah. Know. Or the the first person were so like, Yeah, the first person who had died and that they buried that hadn't been dead for weeks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So he was, you know, they were like, it it's so weird to bury a bury a body this fresh. You mm-hmm. know, like literally somebody who was newly dead. So yeah. but it's Again, I'm starting to like the pace that they're moving at because I feel like now they're starting to move the story forward. But again, it's kind of, it's being interrupted because you're still going back and you're showing us all of these flashbacks. And it's just so many flashbacks. It's not even, right now, I almost feel like we're getting more flashbacks than we are regular story.
1: Yeah, because they're 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 going back and then they go back further. And then like I said, they're doing it in the midst of certain scenes. Like the whole hospital room scene, we got all these flashbacks to different times. Right. Yeah. And, and and like you said earlier, we got a flashback to earlier in the day from the meeting.
0: Right. Right.
1: So yeah, it's yeah, it, it seems like there's a lot. It is. But
0: also in this um in this episode, one of the things that one of the changes that I do like, um, Fran can sign. She can she's the one that can speak with Nick in his language. I do like that they added that because, you know, in the in the old one and in the book, all of Nick's communication had to do with him writing. What, what he was thinking and what needed to be said. But in this one, Fran can communicate and she can translate. I like that they put that in, in the show. Mm-hmm. I do too. Um, the other thing is talking to the volunteers about going over to spy um, for them against the Dark Men. Of course, Dana volunteered to do it. Judge Ferris volunteered to do it when they asked Tom, and this, even in the original miniseries, it it was, that's one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the whole story, when they're, when they're getting Tom to kind of recite back to them what he's supposed to do, and you can see How it hurts Nick as well, because Nick knows that this is something that they need to do. They all know that Tom is a good candidate because who's going to suspect a mentally handicapped person or developmentally developmentally challenged person of being a spy? No one's going to suspect it. So in a sense, it's the perfect plan. But at the same time, it feels like you are leading the lamb to slaughter. Like you are sending yeah. one of the most vulnerable people out there for a task that he might not return from. And it is, it's one of the saddest scenes in this. Um...
1: Especially when, when Nick was saying goodbye to him. That that was particularly yeah. heartbreaking because like you don't know, based on all the changes they made, you don't know if Nick is ever going to see Tom again. Right and and who knows if he does see him again what state he will be in Mm -hmm. because the the my problem i'm I'm, i don't mean to to stop you on the recap but my problem is the the whole situation of sending spies that that is outdated it is it, it is to me it's one of those things that they could have cut from the show because it doesn't necessarily make any sense to me that that These five should understand that they know that there's something going on that is beyond natural, that is really literally supernatural. Mm -hmm. And this, this guy, this man, the dark man was able to send someone who had been crucified, give you a message through him, his eyes turned black. You know what I'm saying? And and you're like, okay, we're gonna send some spies over there to check it out. Really? Like, do you do you not think he one is not going to see it coming? Like, you don't think he is powerful enough to know that these people are not with him and they're with Mother Abigail. They have already made their choice.
0: Well, not necessarily because um, one, just like Nadine couldn't feel him in Boulder. He might can't feel anybody else in Boulder because as he says, Mother Abigail's black magic is keeping his influence out of Boulder. Two, you've got to suspect that there are still some people out there wandering about who may not have, um, you know, come to either Boulder or Las Vegas at this point. There may be some people still out there that kind of like on the fence
1: right but what do you do when he comes into your dream and says join me and he offers you something and gives you the stone or offers you the stone is judge ferris gonna say no because at that point if you say no then he's not gonna welcome you in the vegas he's gonna make you a slave
0: yeah but i i yeah th- you know,
1: but but you, but do you see where i'm going with this is like I, it's causing me to have it causes me to have like i have to suspend my disbelief that they're that they're stupid enough to actually think that he's not going to be able to figure out that these people are not there because they want to be there you know what i mean he he was good enough to catch the guy who was trying to leave you know when he realized that there were slaves there he he tried to leave and he got crucified for it
0: yeah but that was so, somebody yeah. whose mind he was already linked to this was someone who had already pledged to be loyal to him so i'm thinking he would have been able to sense any kind of disloyalty okay my thinking is like it was in the original um series i think anybody who was going towards vegas and i think there there have probably been a couple of people where they might have been like Oh, I thought I wanted to be with Mother Abigail. That's not what I want. I don't think he will turn those people away because, you know, they might have changed their minds. I think he would be more upset with somebody who's with him changing their mind to go to Mother Abigail than he would be somebody from Mother Abigail's group coming to him, you know, especially considering he already has two people in Boulder right now, you know, Mm -hmm. that are there because that's where they ended up and then now he can use them as spies maybe there are people there in boulder who thought they wanted to be there with mother, mother abigail and then they might be like oh this is not what i wanted let me go to vegas
1: well i think we'll, he'll be we'll more- see we'll see, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll see how it plays out yeah we'll see how it plays out yeah i don't know i think i don't know we'll see because i don't know i, I want them i want it to be done differently then this will be something that I wouldn't have mind them changing but um this is also but we'll see how a it
0: big goes. part of the book the, having those spies there and what happens because of those spies you know that's it, also something that's really really big in the book
1: it is but if you want to if if the, if there was something that you wanted to change other than the little things that they have changed that had no no apparent consequence at the time. Why not change this and do something different that would have a effect on the consequence? You know what I'm saying? Like if you're gonna change things, go all in. Like lean into it. Either change it and be different or don't change it. But don't change it and be half-assed about it. You know what I mean? Right. If I hope I'm making sense. But it's like if yeah. you if you're gonna take out if you're gonna take out Nick scene in the in the jail. But it doesn't really change anything. You change the whole Lincoln Tunnel thing, but it doesn't really change anything. Then why are you changing it, right? Mm-hmm. So if the changing is something that you want to do because you want it to be different, then come up with something other than spies. The, this, let's just go ahead and just wipe the whole thing clean. <laughs> you, you already told us cha- you already told us you're changing the ending, right? The ending is now. of consequence. The ending is of consequence. (laughs) The ending is of consequence. Needful Things was a really good adaptation from the book. And there were a couple of things that they changed that was of consequence. But it worked. Same thing with It, the first miniseries. They changed some things because they're like, it's not going to work on TV. And it didn't. But at least they tried to change stuff. Tommyknockers, they tried to change some things. And no, they, that was actually a pretty faithful adaptation. And they changed a few things because they probably couldn't figure out how to do it on screen. It didn't really change the ending. So you can do, I mean, if you want to change something, lean into it, just do it. Don't, oh, we're going to change a little bit here, a little no, bit there. That oh, by have been the way.
0: complain about
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, but it would have been more impressive if you said well we're going to do something different other than the spies. Mm. So so what we get we get a gender swap. We get Judge Ferris as a woman instead of a man.
0: But the uh, again, yeah. those <laughs> those particular changes making Judge Ferris a woman, making Ray Brentner a woman, those two things don't change the story. Because we don't
1: know yet. We don't know yet because I think I think I think I think I, I, have, I have a sneaky suspicion that Judge Harris being changed is going to be of consequence. I think something's going to happen that's going to be different than from
0: what book. happened in the book in Yeah. The, hmm.
1: I think I think I think it's going to be and I think it may be for shock value more than anything but I'm I'm afraid of the significance of that that change is going to be.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, the only Elvis? only time will tell.
0: Judge Ferris in the original miniseries. Huh? Wasn't Elsie Davis the judge Davis? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. He, was. he right.
1: was. And Ray and Ray Walston was um uh
0: Glenn.
1: Yes. This old man. And yes. he was actually perfect. And I actually like Greg Kinnear as <laughs> as Glenn, because it's like you know what? You are exactly the way he was. it's The same thing,
0: just in a younger body.
1: Just younger body. It's in the, body. Yeah. It's just the same, yeah. same person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I, so I know you wanted to talk about casting at some point. I actually like that casting. Yeah, I, I, I do, was,
0: I and I, that's cool. what I was gonna say. There, there are some things. I'm still, I'm still on the fence with the way they've done the tom cullen casting but that's because the the one in the original was just perfect and more endearing to me i guess but um i don't know the end of the fourth episode where where they were having him you know go back and talk about um what he's supposed to tell them if they ask him where he's coming from and stuff, and he was talking about the Boomer Sooner. Yeah, I was like, okay, he's kind of <laughs> he's kind of growing on me, you know, because it yeah, he's great. It's yeah. So I wasn't too sure about it at first, just because I and I guess because his character talks so much, and I'm not used to that with that character. Like Tom Cullen talks, and he's socially awkward. And everything, but this one just talks so much. And it's just so <laughs> but,
1: but he, <laughs> he's hilarious. fast. He talks, he talks a lot, but is is quick. Yeah. Like it's burst. And and there's this lot. He was I saw him on um, we recently watched Manhunt. Okay. Uh, it's on, on Netflix.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he played like the leader of this. Mountain militia, okay, <laughs> and and he is so menacing and terrifying really? as that character, and then you turn around and he's like this big gentle giant teddy bear. Right. He, he is it's it's a great switch for him, and I and I did not. He used to be a professional football player. It's oh, okay. actually amazing that that he's showing some actual you know. Not to say that athletes can't be actors mm-hmm. but it's easy it could be easy for him to play that big threatening this terrifying leader of this mountain militia and then here he is this big gentle sweet nice guy that's just you know right. I don't know i I like him and I just I think I just like him because he's just so different than what I just saw him in like last week <laughs> he's just completely yeah, <laughs> he's but- completely different even crime. michelle my wife was like that's the same guy yeah it's the same guy yeah he was terrifying in that show It's was like I, this is not a guy i would not want to cross oh, you know okay. they they aimed guns at him and he looked at him like better put that gun down <laughs> you're like okay. you fear for the people with the guns <laughs> you like he's he was a big scary guy okay I'm sorry I went off on a tangent but I just want no, to say that's fine, I, I,
0: but, um,
1: that, that I, that's the casting that I like and like I like the guy playing Larry Underwood I think that was hmm. perfect casting and James Marsden is just growing on me just a little bit he had
0: a little bit of the accent in this, in, just in this a little episode bit. so I'm I'm a just little, little bit pleased um like I said I'm I'm I think it was just for the most part, the first couple of episodes, it was getting used to the differences that they've made in the characters and the way that they're presenting their stories. Um, I didn't like Franny's character in the first episode. I didn't like the actress who was playing her. It just, it felt off to me. But now in in these later episodes where we're a little bit further along in the story, I'm more accepting of the of the character and of the actress. It it fits a little bit better to me now, you know. Yeah,
1: well, we've talked about especially now that
0: you see them interacting with more people mm-hmm. from the zone, it it's starting to fit better.
1: Well, we've also talked about this in other series that we've covered, where at a certain point, the the people playing the characters realize where their characters are supposed to be, right? And the writers have also. <laughs> even though th- it's not something new but yeah. the writers have gotten into a, a flow and a rhythm mm-hmm. with the characters and the actors and the actors they've lived with these characters now and we're starting to see the benefits of them being in that space and being being those characters yeah. like the guy playing Nick he's been Nick the whole time Like has- I, I, I can't see it being done any other way Fran has sort of grown you know, James Marsden has sort of started to become Stu a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And, Robert you know,
0: as Mother Abigail in episodes three and four, that feels mm-hmm. organically. That like feels Mother organic. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. Because we talked about how it was, she was so much better when she came in there and giving them, you know. Like, yes. basically, I, I told y'all to talk to Nick. <laughs> Don't talk to me. Right. You know what I mean? That is Whoopi Goper. You know That's, and that's even, her version of Abigail.
0: And even with the way that Nick, when Nick first comes to her in his dream and he's able to speak to her and the way that she speaks to him. And I think this is too, maybe just the way that she interacts with certain characters. Even in the original show, Mother Abigail and Nick had a different relationship than she had with the rest of the citizens of Boulder Free Zone. Like it was almost as if she took Nick in as her, like almost like her son. And her interactions with him reflected that, like the tone of voice she used with him, the way that she interacts with him. And I see that in in episode three and four. You see that when she tells him, you come see me in Hemingford home. And then when he and Tom Cullen finally find her in the nursing home and she's by herself and she's talking to her dead friends because she's been stuck there. When they find her, the way that she interacts with them, I was like, okay, this is the mother Abigail I've been looking for. She's kind of, Mm -hmm. she's kind of, Vulnerable in this point. She's a little bit frail because, of course, at this point, her character's been there by herself, you know, who knows how long, but it feels more like Mother Abigail to me now. It's not Whoopi being Mother Abigail, it's Mother Abigail. I'm starting to feel that mm-hmm. now. So I, starting I, to feel I just feel it now. Yeah. So, like I said, the Tom Cullen character, that was just kind of, it was really jarring for me and I've been using this word a lot when it comes to this show but it's because I'm used to even in my head I'm used to feeling like Tom Cullen is more of a soft-spoken person and he was Mm -hmm. in the original series like he was more of a softer natured gentle person and this one is more um like you said, he's loud. He's fast. He moves with a little more, um, with a little more energy than I'm used to thinking of Tom Cullen in my head as. So that's going to take some getting used to. But the end, the episode, or excuse me, the scene where he is saying goodbye to Nick, and who who else was it? Was it Stu or was it Larry that was seeing him off on the bicycle? It was Larry? I
1: think it was Larry.
0: That scene.
1: I think it was Larry.
0: That scene was great. You know, he's riding around mm. on his bike and he's like so joyful even though he's about to leave his He coat.
1: has a he and Nick are wearing the same coat. They're wearing the I same mean, coat. Yes,
0: how cute, is that? <laughs> yes, that's how
1: cute is that.
0: <laughs> and then he has his little bicycle with his basket and he just it's like his character is oblivious of the danger he's about to put himself into but you see the love that he has for his friends and for where he is. And he knows that what he's about to do is going to help make them safe. And that makes him happy. And I was just right. like, I, I should be, I should be feeling glad because this is a good scene, but I don't, yeah, want him to go. I don't
1: want him to go. I don't, I don't think he's oblivious to the danger. He may not understand the magnitude. Yeah. Yeah. But because when they were going over what to do, he got really serious and they were like, you know what do they do if they come after you? He said, "If it's more than one, run.
0: If it's only or one, hide.
1: Yeah. If it's only one, fight. Right.
0: I think yeah. he, I think he said kill
1: them. Yeah, him. kill them. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: So, so he he I think he understands he understands the danger, maybe not the magnitude. Right. Like he he knows to kill someone. You know is he even he has to understand that's something pretty serious right yeah but i i don't want anything to happen to him (laughs) you know
0: i don't think it will because it it shouldn't it shouldn't because i think his character his character is one of the ones that kind of survives all of this but i'm trying to remember there was there was a part in the original where Nick got was it Nick that got sick and he he nursed Nick back to health? Yes, so that that should have already happened, or did that happen when he came back?
1: I think oh. that was already, I think that already happened. Oh, so they right.
0: just so they just skipped over that in this particular they just
1: skipped over that. Yeah,
0: I'm keep my mouth shut. So, anyway,
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, but I mean, but. I mean, because that's they, one of the they have the that most kind
0: of cemented their friendship,
1: right? But at this point, they have the most organic friendship <laughs> in the show. They have the most organic relationship yeah. between the two of them. Yeah. I mean, in and
0: and we may still it, get it. We don't know because you know, I think so. This this show or this series is a nine episode series. So we've already seen episodes one through four take place all in Boulder for the most part. Mm -hmm. episodes five through eight I'm gonna assume will be a repeat but we'll be in Las Vegas Vegas. so we'll see the origin story of some of the big people in Las Vegas because I know that we don't we've seen Lloyd's origin story we've seen the introduction of Julie Lowry but we don't know where she came from we don't know how she got to that point so I'm sure we'll see her introduction and Excuse me, we have not seen Trash Can Man yet. And
1: Is is there even a Trash Can Man?
0: Ezra Miller.
1: Okay. Yes,
0: they are doing Trash... Oh, if they were not going to have Trash Can Man in this, I would be done with this show. Because you <laughs> cannot have a stand without Trash Can Man. You cannot. We'll so, see. so I'm thinking episodes five through eight are gonna be the setup for the Vegas crew. We're gonna Mm -hmm. find out who the main players are. We're gonna find out the background stories. We're also gonna get a glimpse of what our quote unquote spies are doing. But it's kind of like still, I feel like there's still so much story to tell because you have to tell the story of, unless this is what, what changes and I don't know how I'm gonna feel about this. You still have to have the story of the four people, the, the the committee members minus Fran making their way to Vegas for the big showdown. You still have to have that. And then you have to have whatever the finale is. Whatever the finale is, is going to take a whole episode. So you only have four more episodes to kind of build up this tension and build up to the climax. I'm kind of worried about but how do, they're going to do, do it.
1: You, I don't remember... I don't remember why why did they go did they go to to help save this i can't remember why they went to vegas
0: because mother abigail told them that that was God's. that's what god said they that's had what, uh, so in the book and in the original series the four of them set out i believe Stu got hurt mm-hmm and had to remain behind, or you know, kind of got stranded somewhere halfway on the journey.
1: Yeah, I, I remember. I remember yeah. that. I just can't remember. I couldn't remember the the reason.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it was because it it was what God told Mother yeah. Abigail. Because
1: that. in this episode, she specifically told Nick, "We don't need to do anything." like we just need to wait for god to tell us what to do and they went behind her back and sent the spies and
0: that's probably going to be why they end up having to go because they didn't do what they were supposed to do they they weren't supposed to to send spies Mm -hmm. and they did and now because of that now they have to go and stop whatever impending thing is about to happen i i think it was the the fact that they found out that I want to say Mother Abigail found out or they dreamt or something about the fact that Flag had nuclear weapons.
1: I think that was it. And
0: They were going to try to stop. stop him. Yeah, so. Yeah, but either way it goes, they have a lot to set up in the next five episodes or the next four episodes because the finale four. is going to be the finale. You know, so that's going to be one one whole episode by itself. So you still have some world building and some character building to do in these four episodes plus not to mention the events that we know are going to happen in boulder have to take place so we know
1: at least one more episode in boulder so maybe we we get three in vegas right you know or unless they're going to split the episode because we know what is supposed to happen is blowing up mother abigail's house yeah so we'll we'll definitely see that and that may be what springboards us into Vegas right because I I guarantee you it's going to blow up and we're not going to know the fallout we're going to be in Vegas for. I don't even
0: know I don't think it it was it wasn't well of, of course this is different because in the original series they actually left Hemingford home and went to Boulder I think and then they were having their meeting and one of the houses there blew up, but she had to leave Hemingford home at some point Um to be on this. But she's not,
1: I, is, is him. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm assuming that I know I shouldn't do that, but I'm thinking they're going to do it differently. I'm thinking they're actually going to blow the house up and we not know who was in it or if anyone was in it at all. mm mm-hmm. And, and I think that's going to be a change. <laughs> I think that's going to be a change. We'll see. Because the way this thing is going, we're, we're going to get so many flashbacks. We're gonna we're not going to know if we're coming or going. going to, and then we're going to flashback to what happened prior to the bomb going off. And then we're going to be in the prison day. And they are not going to talk about it. I don't, I don't know. I just, right. My expectations are not very high about you know what's what what is coming.
0: Right. Oh, it wasn't because of that. it wasn't Nick that Tom was taking care of who got sick. He came across Stu when he was coming back from Vegas. He found Stu hurt. He found
1: Stu. That's right. he
0: Found Stu hurt and they had to they had to um they had to shelter in a lodge because there was a blizzard.
1: Yeah. Because so, I yeah. remember Gary Sinise. Right. Yeah yes. Gary and mm-hmm. uh, yeah.
0: Yes. So I I
1: bet I bet they changed that too. <laughs>
0: Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. That was one of the best, like...
1: I been they can change that too. Because that that encroaches on Nick and, and Tom's relationship.
0: Okay. I'm because... trying to see if I can roll my eyes any harder <laughs> than I am right now.
1: They're going to change it. They're going to change it. it. It always makes me think of, of Mice and Men. Because was Gary Sinise in the Mice and Men? Thank
0: you. Yes, oh.
1: Was was wasn't Gary Sinise of Mice, of Mice and Men? Yeah. Who was who played uh Just Look at the Flowers? Just look at the Flowers.
0: Hold on, let me see. Who did play uh let's see, who played Lenny?
1: Just look I'm at the flowers, me. Lenny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh because it's very intense. I love that story. Uh, book and movie. Yes. Yeah. Gary Sinise was awesome, and I think they would just avoid avoid I think James Mars. They said this um, in the no. other one. Gary
0: Sinise is just fucking awesome in whatever. <laughs> he really is. is. And I, I think they, they want to
1: avoid already. that comparison. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we we've gone on record as saying that Gary Sinise is like incredible.
0: Right. Mm. I
1: put him him and uh and what's his name from The Boys. And uh, why can I use his name? Um,
0: Carl Urban,
1: no, no, god, no. Wait
0: a minute, I'm trying to think. I'm like, from the boys, okay, who like, uh, oh, John Carlos,
1: John Carlos, yes, yes, John Carlos. I had to get in the right
0: mind frame. I was like, wait, he's not talking about leading men, he's talking, yes, yes, the,
1: the sidecar So, Gary niece, John Carlos, whenever they're on screen it's about them they're mm-hmm. they're awesome
0: right yeah. they could they could be on a screen plan a character that's only going to be on there for five minutes and it's going to be like he made the show <laughs> <He did>. <laughs> like <laughs> it is but okay so we've got five more episodes at this point we are completely caught up because we've they've only aired four episodes so i think Any shows that we do about the stand from this point on will probably be per episode, just because I I want to be able to talk about it and and maybe explore through the episodes a little bit more in depth than we have been able to do. Um, Trying to cover two at once, but um,
1: well, covering two at once it it was a tall task because of all the bouncing. Like we get one scene right. we talked about in episode three. It doesn't finish until episode four. Right. It's, it's, and then there's a whole lot of stuff in between.
0: Right. So yeah. I think we'll go back to our episodic uh, format <laughs> for the remainder of the series. But at least we know that we have five more episodes coming up. So there's a lot of ground that they have to cover I'm hoping that they can cover it in a way that does justice to the story. Because again, this book has been one of my favorite books for a very long time. And um, I just don't want to be overall disappointed with what they do with the story. I'm, I'm kind of still hopeful that in the end they're going to get everything right and all of these changes and all of these things that they've done will pay off but i'm kind of like man, I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know
1: i i just i don't want them to to think that subverting our expectations is going to make it great you know, like you, you're going to get compared to the original series and you're going to get compared to the book. So don't try so hard to be different.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and my and I keep feeling like they, they're making things different just to be different and not because there's some artistic merit or some bit of story that we need. That's gonna make this more interesting. Mm-hmm. It hasn't made it more interesting. It's just made the weaknesses more glaring when you leave stuff out or you change things. It's like, why did you change it? it doesn't it doesn't even matter, <laughs> you know? So that, this is my opinion. I, I'm, I'm I'm trying to keep my I'm trying to temper my expectations and and just try to to remember that it, it's supposed to be something separate. It is an adap- adaptation, but it, it's supposed to be its own thing and have its own life. And we we have to work really hard at going along with it because as it is just by itself, it's very weak. And and all the bouncing and time jumping is not helping. Like. You got a good story there. You got a lot to work with. Stop interrupting scenes with bounce backs. Right. And if you're gonna do it, come back to where you were. Don't do another bounce back. And another one. And another one. You know, so it, you know, I, it's, it's, it's very, we both just sighed at the It's very exhausting. It it really is. And um and I'm glad that we did one and two and three and four together because it, sh- it it goes to show you how easy it is to get lost. Like, if you're going at it week by week, you realize, oh, wait, yeah, we did leave off there in the last episode. Mm-hmm. And now halfway through the next episode, we go back. And it's like, oh, I forgot about that. And, you know, so, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I'm going to, uh, I have a feeling we're going to be repeating this a lot because it didn't get better. It got worse. Like it was bad in one, it was bad in two. And you're thinking, okay, maybe, maybe they'll temper it a little bit. No, it was worse than three. <laughs> and then it was worse than four. It's like, it got worse and worse. And to the point where you're not just jumping back months, you're jumping back hours. I don't, I don't get it don't do it it's, it doesn't work it's not helping the story at all it's you're breaking it up you're you're causing the momentum to be lost like you build up a lot of tension and momentum and then you kill it before we get the payoff right like she goes from I'm sorry she goes from getting her 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 sonogram and then we get like three or four, bouncing back and forth scenes before she jumps up off the bed and they're bringing in the crucified guy so why did you you, you why it's like there was no point yeah it, it was it's one scene but you broke it up into two separate things with a whole bunch of other stuff in the middle
0: actually they broke it up into three because we oh because when have... the
1: Abigail came in is the third part of that scene
0: yeah well there, there's a part of the scene she's looking at the, the ultrasound and she shows you know the picture she's you know she's just looking at our baby blah and then they go to another scene and then they come back and she's still looking at the picture and that's when when you hear them bringing the guy in and then it goes to Stu and nick And then it goes to a flashback and then it comes to her, I think, getting off the table and coming towards them. So yeah, it's just, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then Mother Abigail comes in. It's messy. It's like, oh, it's just so frustrating. Yeah, (laughs) yeah and you're sitting there trying to take notes and I have arrows going back up to okay so scene.
0: I'm not the only part I mean I wish you could read <laughs> my notebook I have you know because I'm sitting here and I'm trying to write the notes and I'm writing what I remember from the episode and then I'm watching the episode and I'm like oh that didn't happen here let me cross this off and move this th- I mean literally I'm doing the same thing yeah. in my notebook it's just <sighs> maybe it'll get better they have five more episodes maybe it'll get better we can be optimistic Uh, i think
1: we can try to be optimistic but i think they've established their format they they have established their format and this is what they this is how they want to tell the story
0: Mm, right
1: (sighs) they should have hired quentin tarantino he would have he would have really helped them do this the right way
0: if they would have had tarantino do this story god
1: that would have been amazing <laughs> he would been- have he would have he helped them if you guys are going to do flashbacks if you you don't want to do flashbacks you actually want to tell three separate stories
0: <laughs>
1: you want to tell you want to tell three se- I, I can see him doing this this is three stories and we're going to tell all three at the same time and and we're going to
0: make sense <laughs>
1: If we're gonna make it make sense, and one of the stories we're gonna tell it backwards, and it would have been so brilliant. <laughs> it would have been so brilliant.
0: Okay, so when they do that, when they reboot, reboot in like <laughs> ten or fifteen years, maybe that will be a you know we're gonna throw that out, but we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna be out. patient. We're gonna see what they do with the rest of these five episodes. We're gonna try, try being op- the operative word. We're going to try to be a little more open-minded, a little less judgmental, maybe? Maybe.
1: We'll- <laughs> are, are we judging? <laughs> maybe a little bit. Maybe a little Just
0: bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Maybe Just a little, little bit. bit. But, <sighs>